to the Paddle College Podcast. This is episode number eight, recorded May 1st, 2013 from snowy Colorado. Uh, tonight's topic is team building, and we've got a special guest to join us. It was going to be Jeff Lotz, but we decided he wasn't nearly cool enough, so we had to go out of state. So, Will, tell Dude, us Dude, that was mean. <laughs> um, our guest tonight is Michael Magnus of sort of international IFTS fame. Um, welcome, Michael. Howdy, howdy. Yeah, how you doing, Michael? How's, how's uh, where, where are you at, anyways? Tell, tell us a little bit about, about you. We'll get into some questions later, but, but where are you at? What chapter do you play with? Uh, I'm down here in East Central Oklahoma, and actually just last year started up the East Central Oklahoma chapter based on my family's ranch oh, so you guys, out here. So You actually play, the land that you guys play on is the ranch? Yep. Do you have a lot of encounters that, that include cattle? Sometimes, uh, although the, the last couple we've played on pastures that I've rotated everything off of. Got it. We, we had this game called Sable Pass that we played here. I don't know if you guys have ever played it. I don't know if it's gotten out of Colorado yet, but it's got a, a cattle encounter written into it. We, Yeah, very memorable very, encounter. Anyways. Very nice. I, I, I've been planning on working in a cattle encounter at some point. They're pretty well trained to my truck. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's great. Nice. So uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about what's been going on with us and IFGS, and um, I guess we'll start off with writing. Um, Will, what's been going on with writing? Not a lot. We've been doing some turnarounds on games. I think uh, Heart of the Highlands is finally done with sanctioning. Dun, dun, dun. Long, way from, long way from home, we've got uh, one more turnaround, I think, and then we'll be good to go. Yeah, we were stalled on a long way from home for a while, but I think I think we've got the way forward, which is always yep. a good thing. I was I've definitely felt like I had some writer's block going on. Magnus, do you, do you do a lot of writing for your I mean for your group, and you've got anything in the works going right now? Uh I've always got stuff going. Uh, <laughs> Beth and I write a lot of stuff together, uh, uh, and. Uh, our shared game world is actually becoming the ECO chapter game world right now. Oh, We've yes. got between the two of us, probably a dozen, half a dozen scripts. Sure. Uh, and uh, we've probably got three or four in various stages of being done right now. Everywhere from an outline to about ready to send off to sanctioning. So, does your game world, does it fit into the sort of, everyone sort of fit around the Land of the Seven Tribes from what I've understood. At least Dallas, they, they're sort of, sort of the south of the Land of the Seven Tribes. The pack northwest is, is out on some islands out to the far west. Does your game world fit into that or is it totally separate? Uh, we have, so it's not the same physical world. Uh, although we have established links into the Dallas game world of uh, game area of Fjorgensheim through uh, the gates. Right. Right. Uh, uh, the, the gates there in Norlake. Uh, through you know, various character interactions from, you know, my characters that started here in Norman, then I moved to Dallas, and then up to Wisconsin, and now back here. Wow. Roundabout. Right. Yeah, all all over the place, and uh, so we are different physical world, but then very easily connected through connected to through Norlake. Okay, in the sure. Dallas area. And what's the actual name of your uh, of your world? Uh, 
world name not established. Kalenvale sure. is the main kingdom Great. Uh, okay. with a couple of known kingdoms around. Great. Very cool. Um, so I guess next sanctioning this is more for me. I uh, <laughs> We just had a big sanctioning committee where talked about we've been talking about for about four months now about uh vmrs and treasure resets and and whether we would limit them in any way in dallas or dallas in denver boulder and uh we've decided to to place some limitations that'll be released here pretty soon all those limitations um not too many but but definitely gonna make it a little bit easier for the sanction committee i think i think that's actually important for me too since that means that my vmr will now go through it will finally go through jabberwock <laughs> will will be complete uh do you guys have any do, do you have anyone uh in oklahoma that does treasure reset uh yeah we've actually been doing quite a few treasure resets uh here well, it's recently. good to know I, I just did one actually for my brother uh just the other day he he played for three or four years back you know 10 years ago and then he you know he moved off got in the army went away and has just recently come back knew he only had one character and knew kind of the backstory but didn't have any paperwork any anything and uh, so he really hit the nail on the head for kind of what the the you know vmr was intended for in hey we've got a player used to be really active doesn't have any records now let's try to reconstruct that character so he can keep going very cool uh, and then we just had a lot of we've had a lot of then the old Norman folks coming back up out of retirement who haven't played you know 10 15 years and similar situations they're like you know I've got bits and pieces of paperwork and it's been working pretty well for them very cool fantastic uh, we got some upcoming games coming up. We've got a Nexus game in June, which I once again will not be there for. Um, uh -huh. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna be out of town. I'll be in Tennessee. Uh, we've got. Oh, we'll talk about where Will and I are going to play in our very first out-of-state game with Michael Magnus called Nightshade. Uh, it's written by John Jones, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. That'll definitely come up in in this podcast. Uh, what other games are coming up? <laughs> Possibly Tomb of the Goblin Slayer. We're looking at Possibly. that run. Yep. And then we got some games after that in June. After that, we start running into Trial by Fire, right? Yep. Trial by Fire would be the one after that. Actually, no. Fantastic. Before Trial by Fire is our game. Um, long way from home? Long way from home. Oh, my goodness. I know. Yeah, it's getting I guess better get it sanctioned. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I think we're going to take a little break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Michael about some team building. Team so, building. Yep. So, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're going to be talking about team building in this segment. Um, and uh, we specifically have Michael Magnus on because he is going to be our lore master for Nightshade, which is the uh, out-of-state game we're going to be playing down in Dallas. And we wanted to talk to him, since he's our lore master, about sort of his thoughts on how you build a team and what you want to look for and all that kind of thing. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's get into it. And, and even more um, specifically, real it. quick, um, there was a thread on that I posted about a year ago, two years ago on the IFGS forums about team building and team composition. And Michael oh, sure. avoided answering the question. He said there's too many variables. So hopefully he can get into it and uh, talk a little bit more specifically about what he means there. Certainly. Okay. So first, sort of some, some general principles. Um, and then after that, we can go into the into more specifics, like what would you take, et cetera, et cetera. But um, to start off, what what is team building for 
for both Michael and Paxton, for both Magnus and Paxton, I guess I'll have to call you by last name. Um, what does that mean to you? What does team building mean? Let's start with Magnus. For me, the team building is specifically as the lore master, I am looking at a game. I'm looking at what I know about it, what, how, you know, both lore wise and metagame wise. Uh, because for me, putting the team together is a very metagame thing. I am putting together a set of people that I think are going to have the optimal fun given what I know about this specific game. Sure. And, uh, you know, if I know it's going to be a you know, serious rock and roll fight, 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 recharge, fight, 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 then those are the people I'm looking for who's fun to fight with. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a lot of knowing a writer's style plays into that a lot too. Great. Good point. I like that. Paxton, do you have anything you want to... Yeah, so for me, I, th I think there's two sort of aspects. Um, there's first the player. Who do I want to play with? And usually that comes first when I talk about team building, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. And it's, it's putting together the players that I want to go out in the course with. And sometimes that has to do with the writing style. Oftentimes it's not. Usually it's uh, who haven't I gotten to play with lately, and, and you know, who do I sort of want to spend that full day with and the second one is like basically characters or classes um you know which which classes do i want to have on the team to succeed in the game or what characters you know am i doing a theme team um or am i taking in existing characters that my character knows and that's sort of what i'm talking about team building is is how do i figure that out how do i sort of narrow that down to get who i want to to be on course with sure okay um actually sort of a um a follow-up question, something you said sparked me. So do you, do either of you ever think about um, sort of owing people a slot? Like these people have really helped me out NPCing. These people have really, you know, whatever, as lore master, I need to invite them to play. Is that something that comes up for you guys? Michael? Uh, for myself, it certainly does. Um, it's, you know, generally, I reward those folks more with you know LM slots in games that I'm producing, but there is a certain level of you know these folks have helped me out, you know, and I get an LM invite to what I know is going to be a really awesome game. I'll bring those you know those people who've helped me out who you know I think it's going to be fun to include them in on a game that they might not normally be able to get into okay yeah and, and for me i think yeah it definitely does you know they're, they're definitely people that i make sure that i get on my team and to be honest it's it's because i usually play with my close friends you know my team my team so far i don't get to play a whole lot but when i do my teams are fairly consistently the same general group of people and it's because those are the people that are always helping me produce. So those are, and they're, and they're also my close friends. So they're the ones that I want to bring on a team uh, to basically, you know, to both pay them back and also because I, I just enjoy spending time with them. So the rumors of you choosing your teams purely out of an elitist sense of sort of an elitist desire for success, those are, those are unfounded rumors? They are unfounded rumors completely, 100%. Okay. Oh. Mike, do you have a question? Oh, okay. I was just going to say, I do think that, that I think we differ there in that I do thoroughly enjoy 
playing with folks that I haven't played with before or don't know very well. So I get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, you know, a certain level of you know, unknown. Yeah, I actually, I actually do too. I really enjoy playing with people I haven't played with before. Um, and enjoy playing on teams where um, like, I sort of feel a little bit left out. I know that sounds strange. But I think what happens for me, and Paxton, this may happen for you as well, is I feel like I get so few PC slots. You know, like I didn't play last year. Right. Yep. Um, oh no, I did play. Sorry, that, I did. That, that's true. You played once. Yeah. Um, because specifically because I wrote a game because you hadn't PC'd. Um, but for me, I end up getting this feeling like um, I really want to play with my friends, and I get one chance to play a year. It's really hard to give up that opportunity, um, even though I really like playing on sort of you know pickup teams. Is that where you kind of fall back to? Absolutely. And I think, you know, this Nightshade's a great example of an opportunity where I could play with people that I don't really know. You know, Michael, you and I have met, you know, we've, 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 we've spent time together. Uh, you were a GM last or two years ago for Mountains of Flame, but that's about mm-hmm. it. So I, it's a very much an unknown for me and, and the rest of the people on the team, Ray Michelle, I've never played with. Uh, he'll be coming down for that team. And so it's the same sort of thing, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's really hard when you get to play just once how do you say no to those people that are your good friends that you know you, that you've been talking about playing with you know for a year? So I I, I definitely agree with that. Cool. But yep. so let me tell you the the, the tricksy way around that. Uh huh. Make sure at least half of your friends get slurped up into the NPC pool for any given game, and then you don't have to tell them no. <laughs> it's a great idea. Yeah. The problem is our our friends are tricksy in that whenever anyone asks them. Would you like to NPC for me? They say, yeah, I'd love to. Let me just check with, with Paxton first to make sure I'm not on his team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what makes a good team? Like player versus character versus class? Like what is the first thing that both of you think about when you're when you're trying to put together a good team? Go for it, Magnus. All right. For me, a lot of this depends on that risk rating. Interesting. If... If, if I've got a higher risk rating, then I'm going to go more for effectiveness. You know, I will, you know, I will put the ability to mesh as a team, to, uh, you know, fight and work together as a team at a little higher priority. Whereas if I drop below, oh, a, a seven or so, in risk, I start putting team dynamic ahead. You know, but basically, you know, the game within the game is how is the party interacting? How are the characters interacting? And I like to plan those character interactions. You know, I will know, okay, you know, my Druid Bar Talk, you know, I have gotten to know about. You know, this other guy's character, I think that he and my druid Bartok would get along well. I'm going to try to include him on this team, even if he's not the best fit for meshing well, because that then gives us our character interaction. Okay. Will, what about sure. you? For me, it always starts off with the player. Um, I don't really care like how effective they are. Uh, the first thing I'm always thinking about is, who who am I going to enjoy playing with? Who's going to throw things at me that I'm going to have to, you know, make decisions about role play with, etc. Um, 
And once once I know those players, I think the second thing I think about after that is class. Like, do they have something that will round out a team that I can work with that will fill it out? Um, and occasionally we run into those those times when it's a character thing where you know I'm like, I'd really like to take so and so because we have unfinished business or whatever. But those are those tend to be a much more rare. Um, but yeah, for me it, it always starts with with um, who's going to be able to bring some some interesting story, some interesting conflict, some interesting disagreement to the party. So what about, you know, Michael Magnus brought up risk rating. Does that come into account when you're looking at a game at all, when you're forming a team? Will? No. No? Not at all. Yeah. And, and part of that is because that first pool of people I'm going to choose from, you know, sort of the, 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 you know, the, the small pool that I, I end up playing with when I have so few slots, I trust them to be able to take any kind of risk rating. Okay. And after that, even, you know, if I can, I just feel like for the most part, we can handle the risk regardless of who comes onto the team, who does whatever we can, we can probably do it. You know, everyone I know, everyone I like is, is sort of smart enough and capable enough and they can, they can make it work. Right. And, and for me, I, I'm much like you. I think player comes first. Um, I think figuring out logistically who's sanctioning, who's jamming NPCing, and then who do I have left is the first decision I almost always make. And, and usually there'll be someone like, oh, you know, I haven't played with, you know, blah, blah, blah in a long time. Okay, let's, let's make sure that they're free. And, you know, it's maybe they have a certain character uh, that, that I want to play with. But for the most part, it's, it's always player first. Um, and then, and then, characters and class sort of go to hand by hand usually there's a question of do i ask like oh is there a character that you know you want to play in this game and they'll say yes or no and and if they don't then we'll start going through class and figuring out you know who's going to play what class and what level sure yep so magnus a question for you does do magic items come into your decision making process like when you're putting together a team do you ever think i would love to take so and so but this is risk eight and he has no toys when you start getting into the risk eight and above that will play a role, although my general fix for that is to petition production. Oh, sure. And say, hey, I've you know got this guy I'd really like to bring on the team. He's sitting at twenty percent treasure to experience. Can we throw some armor on him, or you know, can we just do some you know game day only to bring him on par with the rest of the team? Right. That usually works. Barring that, I spend a bunch of cap and equip him. Okay. So here's a question. So we don't have a lot of experience with playing in high-risk games here in Colorado. Will and I, we write a lot of the high-risk games, so so we don't have a lot of experience. In fact, Nightshade might be the highest-risk game we've ever played in. Is that right, Will? I mean, unless you include the actual risk of Chameleon, yeah. Right. <laughs> so when Michael does a question for you, so risk rating... Is it pretty consistent where in the games that you play when it's a high-risk game? Are those games pretty consistently nasty, or is there a lot of uh, variety in sort of what that is, where a Dallas Risk 8 might be a lot more risky than an Oklahoma Risk 8? Uh, there's definitely a lot of variation in the risk ratings between chapters. Um, I can go down a whole long list of issues with this one i've harped on it before <laughs> uh the, the 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 lack uh you know we have the basic risk rubric for sanctioning guidelines right uh but one of the things that i really discovered over time is 
you could separate risk out a lot into risk of failure, risk of permanent death. You know, you know, there, there's your risk and there's intensity. Right. Oh, sure. that's, that's a great way of putting it. Risk and intensity. I, I yeah, risk, risk and intensity. In fact, Beth and I experimented with a intensity rating up in Wisconsin for a while, and it came out, you know, fa- fairly decent. But you know, right now the game where everything's a hard fight and the chances of actually succeeding it are practically nil. But if the whole party dies, you you know, wake up the next day and it was all a dream. Gotcha. You know, you've got a high intensity game, but low risk. Minimal risk. You're not gonna, you know, miss anything. Absolutely. And some of that I think is made up in the fighting rating, but but it misses a lot of it. Um so I think that yes. intensity is is a great descriptor. And I think a lot of our games might come out as intense, but maybe not so risky, depending on, on the game. Um, sure. Yep. Yeah, because even on those ones where we're aiming for risk six, we're aiming for a feel of risk nine. Right. Um, and then, so as far as, uh, as far as all that goes, have, do you see a a difference between team size as far as, you know, what, what you like putting together? Do you like putting together groups of four or six or five? What, what's the best team size if you're given a choice? Start with you, Magnus. Magnus. Um, so typically it's six man teams. Uh, that's just mainly what gets thrown out there. Um, you know, personal preference, I like at least five. You know, I think when you get to four and below, there's just an awful lot of either the various classes don't matter or you're going to get it wrong. Ah, uh, sure. Okay. You know, but by the time you get to six, you can have a fairly good representation across the classes and, uh, you know, whatever... You know, and and you know, people will be able to pick up the abilities from the others. Makes sense. Yeah. How about you, Mike? Uh, I definitely have a preference. I'm not a huge fan of large team sizes. I five is my favorite. I think it's the easiest to balance around as a game writer. I I enjoy playing on five. I feel like everyone has a purpose. I think when you get down to four, there's a lot of relying on your other teammates that comes into play that you can sort of. You can sort of skip. Like on a team of five, you can you can have a weak link. When you get to four, or even I haven't played on a game, but I think a game of with three people, there there can be no weak links. And I think that would that's, be awesome. Yeah, we uh, we <laughs> ran a mini quest for Brandon Slayton, an unsanctioned one this year, and we ran it with a team size of three. Right? It was Puccio, Joel, and four, no, it was four. Who's the fourth? Yeah, Tom Balzer. Oh, Tom Baltzer. Tom Baltzer. Right. Still, Geldrake. But still, that game I felt like um, – no, not Geldrake. We, we made a character form. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. But but that team I felt like had no weak links. They were forced to rely on each other very, very strongly. So I, I really like small teams. I think five at the max – I don't really like teams of six. Uh, Mountains of Flame I thought was too big. But but four or would be great, and I really would love to try a game with three. I have noticed with teams of six, and certainly with teams higher than of higher than six, when you're going back through the stories of the game, with the team of five, you can usually tell the story just fine. As soon as you get to the six or seven, you're always like, and then there was someone else. Who was the other person on the team? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So what about Interesting. here? What about this? Having players, having players basically play their characters up or down. So I know there's definitely some mixed feelings about that here in Denver Boulder. Will, how do you feel about that? How do I feel about it? Yeah. For me, for me, I mean, at this point, level is 
superfluous. <laughs> um, you know, we we have this thing where everyone just asks the producer to play up. They get the extra magic items. They go for it. We've got the rules now in the blue book for playing down. I mean, <clears throat> it, it almost feels like levels no longer really need to exist. Um, so I, I certainly have no problem with people playing up or down. I, I, I sort of wish that that was not true. I would love it that if levels mattered, but they, they really don't. Magnus, how do you feel about that? Um, so it's actually interesting about the, the prevalence of playing up. Uh, I've, you know, occasionally given a, you know, courtesy bump to second for the, you know, the, the lone novice playing at first level on a third, otherwise third level team. And, uh, you know, I've occasionally seen folks bump, you know, I'm almost fourth and, you know, get that bump. Uh, but I don't see a lot of playing up in that regards uh for the playing downs uh i'm i'm still kind of mixed on that one and uh, you know and i i was you know one of the moving forces on getting that codified you know in the seven o rules uh -huh. and uh, uh you know largely because it gives a greater opportunity for folks to bring in the their older characters that they enjoy playing, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, especially down here in the Norman Dallas area or ECO in Dallas area now, there was just kind of this character death at seventh. There were no games, right? And I think it's because they're really hard to balance. I mean, I think we have the same problem here in Colorado. You just don't see those high level games very much. You know, what's really interesting is here in Colorado. I feel like we it's a very different culture. We allow people to play up all the time. Isn't that right, Will? I mean, yeah, totally. But I, I think part of that comes from just not having enough PCs to fill the slots. Oh, right. right. If we if we said in a four to six game, you have to have a four to six level character, we'd end up with eight, eight PCs that could play. Right. So rather than do that, you know, the producer wants to make their money back. So they say, great, everyone can play to four to six level. So... Yeah, my, I think my first game with Owen, my knight uh, that I'll be playing in Dallas, uh, I played up to 4th or 5th level with Nyssa. So. Yeah, Anyways. That's, and that's how a 2nd level character gets plus 2 plate mail. It was plus 1 plate mail. But it was nice. I, I was very happy to have that plus 1 plate mail at 2nd level. <laughs> so let's get on to, uh, on to specific team building questions. Um, and we'll start with Magnus here. Are there any particular classes that you have to have? Pretty much any game, doesn't really matter, that you're like, okay, I have to take X. Not really. Um, and, and, and I realize that I'm an odd duck in this. Uh, but I have walked on course with no cleric and no mage. Uh, um, I've, done, I've done some pretty odd things in you know, team class composition. Um, you know, if, if I'm looking at a serious rock and roll game... Then yeah, I'm definitely covering the cleric base. Definitely got the mage and the thief. Okay, so cleric, mage, thief on a high on a high sort of high intensity type game. Those three are like the first things you make sure you slot in. Those, yeah, those are the first things I make sure I have them. Mage is at the top of the level curve. Thief can be kind of anywhere. Cleric is either top of the level curve or one level down. Okay, will. Um, for me, I'd say if any 
last, it's cleric. Other than that, no. Okay. And and even cleric. As long as my knights are well enough equipped, I don't really need the cleric either. Okay. And for me, I think that it's. I have to sort of have two either fighter or knights. Like two of those two. Well, yeah, sure. In, in, in almost any game. Like that's the first thing that I do is I make sure my front line and, and I only consider those two classes for my front line. That's that's how I how I think about it. I, I put a fighter, fighter and knight. I put a put a, a knight or two fighters or two knights, either one. So what yeah. about and and do things change at higher level at higher or lower levels? So like if you have a very low level game does that change what you have to have as opposed to a really high level? I know for me, like the the um, the necessity for a cleric, like I feel like clerics are much better at lower levels than they are at higher levels. But when you also have it, when you're at that sort of that sixth, you know, sixth level where you get life spark, that feels like another time when clerics are good. You know, mages at sixth level they sort of come into their own. Um, what do you think about that, Magnus? Does your does your classes you have to have does that change at at high level or low level? I agree that various classes have different levels of your know, comparative strength at the different levels, but just overall, yeah, I I don't really think that I, I consider that much in terms of you know oh yes I definitely want a cleric at you know one through three, but you know, not higher, or, you know, yeah, as soon as the monk gets their specialty, they're always on there, or, you know, right. or, so, or, or things like that. So, Magnus, I, I have a question. This goes back to what you said about things that you need. You need a, a mage, a cleric, a thief. You said, I, why a thief? Yeah, what do you use thieves for? I mean, mage and cleric, <laughs> you got me there. Like, mage, okay, cleric, I'm, I'm with Will. Cleric, pretty, pretty high up on my list. Mage, probably, you know, savvy is great, detect magic, so there's enough stuff. But thief, really? Uh, yeah, so, and this may be a chapter culture thing. Exactly, that's what I'm trying to figure out, because I just don't understand this, to be honest. So, for, for me, thieves have a lot of the, you know, you can call them the social SAS. Mm-hmm. And in... You know, when you have you know the type of game that I'm used to is generally going to be rich in lores, going to be rich in social interaction. Having you know one just you know be you know ha- having the lock picking there for picking locks, getting out of traps, doing that stuff. Those tend to be prevalent. Uh, but they are my mobile striker. Uh, and uh, you know, and I think especially in the seven O rules with you know, their dagger damage and all of that, if I've got a thief orbiting the you know any given battle, uh-huh. they are there to ensure if people start going after my artillery mage. They make that fighter chase them. Okay. You know, the fighter can either eat my mage and, you know, the thief is going to backstab and dagger him to death, or they can go chase my thief. They can also throw in confusion to that melee. You know, make the other guys look away, flinch, you know, do whatever. Um, For me, a thief does a lot of battlefield control. 
doesn't whereas good... your tanks are sitting there. I was gonna say, doesn't your doesn't a, an aggressive fighter or knight fulfill that just as well with shock and awe? They 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 can, but if they're running around, yeah. So so in my experience, that fighter knight, you know, wherever your your tank squad is, that's going to tend to be the center of your combat. Oh, uh, that's going to draw your NPCs. Things are going to come in. Got it. Michael, I see the, your problem. You don't bring enough knights. See, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I, 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 I totally agree with you. But when you have three knights as your knight core, and then you have two knights roving, and then a cleric or a mage in the back, th- this problem goes away. You, you understand that, right? And, and then you have uh, someone that can run around, and he has a shield, and he does more damage. <laughs> well, okay, maybe not with backstab, but still. This is true. Yeah, the, all, feel... the, the all-night team just trumps. <laughs> there's 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 no problem that can't be solved by throwing more knights at it. <laughs> They're like ninjas. <Okay. laughs> yeah, exactly. So Will, how do you feel about the the things? Do you think class composition changes when you're talking about a higher game higher level game versus a lower level? Um yeah, I mean certainly Well, I guess my, my have to haves stay pretty much the same, right? Okay. Um you know, I feel like Cleric just that that boost of armor is just so useful all the way through. Um, it's hard for me to pass up a cleric. Um, you know, having that the the two the two melee or front line is important. You know, mage definitely gets a lot more um, desirable once they hit sixth. But yeah, no, not really. I mean, it pretty much stays the same for me too. Hmm. How about you? I definitely feel like certain classes are become worth it at higher levels where I might take them as, as one of my final slots. Like, I, to be honest, I would rarely ever choose a druid or a monk at low levels. I just don't think the power level, the curve is there. Sure, druids, totally. Druids are too either point-dependent or dependent on LI, um, and they don't bring enough utility that I wouldn't take them probably below fifth. And monks just, I mean, except for the knockdowns with, with throw and, and sweep and stuff, they're just not that powerful until they have enough points that they can, and enough toys to sort of make up for their deficits that I feel like they're really worth it. So, you know, if the game, if it's under, you know, under fifth level and someone wants to bring in a monk, unless it's a really, really easy game, I just, I think it's a, a bad idea. Um, Ranger's a little bit the same thing. I... You know, maybe it's a Colorado thing. I haven't seen a ranger yet be effective, that effective in a Colorado game. No offense to any rangers that are listening. Um, I just, I haven't seen any that, oh, except for the Balters. I take that back. Yeah, as I say, Adam has done some brutal work as a Sure, but, a it, ranger. but it is few and far between. And so a ranger's another and, one. And he I has did. a great team around him, right? They have, they have an entire team that is well-versed in just setting up, putting him in the pocket and letting him go to town. Right. Well, that's a good question. So what about player dynamics and and how they work together magnus do you choose players that you know uh have a history of working together regardless of what characters have played uh, again that one goes back to that risk rating okay uh at the higher ends most definitely yes you know i look for and i mainly look for folks that i feel i can work with and they're not going to kill each other okay um is that a and, big problem where you come from? Do you have a lot of teams that just end up killing each other? Uh, it has been known to happen. Awesome. Uh, not not a big problem, but it's one of those things where 
you just know if player A and player B are on the same team, there's going to be drama. And, uh, you know, that's cool if it's character A and character B. That can be fun. But when it's the actual players that are snippy at each other, it tends to bring down the enjoyment level of the game, both for your the rest of your team and for the NPCs interacting with you. Right. Totally. And so, you know, I do very much enjoy being the conductor of the team. You know, in, in an ideal LMing situation, I'm sitting back out of most everything calling, you know, what's going on. Right. You know, ordering the artillery strikes, telling the thief to orbit this way. Sure. You know, do, doing that and then, you know, mixing it in myself when needed. But, you know, the ultimate high for me as an LM is being able to step back and, you know, orchestrate, you know, whether it's a fight or, you know, mental or physical challenge or, or whatever it is, being able to have my own understanding of what everyone's strengths and weaknesses are and then play them accordingly. Right. So nice. we've, we've talked about high-risk games. Let's talk about other types of high-fighting games. Or not high fighting games, high high rated games like a high physical game, a high mental game, a lore specific game. Are there any other classes that you try and look for uh, when when for other specific s- scenarios? Uh, Will, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. If if uh, if it's a high mental game, I'm gonna want a smart knight. Um, if it's a high physical game, I'm gonna want sort of a fit knight. Okay. Um, and you know, for those high fighting games, I just want a knight. So, Magnus. <laughs> so, high mental, I bring my wife Beth. Okay, so you, it's a player choice. <laughs> it, it, it's largely a player choice. Um, but also, here's another strong suit for that thief. Intuit code in a high mental can mm-hmm. be invaluable. Sure. Sure. So, a knight with items of intuit code. <laughs> Uh, and for that high physical, a monk. So why do you take the monk in the high physical? Leap, balance. Uh, just they tend to have, you know, one the people who play monks tend to be a little more athletic and lithe. Okay. Uh, but also a lot of the monk abilities lend well to circumventing. In physical physical courses, sure. Physical courses. Uh, a ranger also steps up in physical courses. I've found a lot of times physical courses tend to also involve fights in said physical courses, uh, and so adding the extra artillery can be nice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, also, penetrating arrow comes in handy a lot. Right. Right. Totally. And and for me, I think high mental. I I always want a mage. I mean, the the savvy is just the bulk of the savvies that you can just blow through it seems to be in mental that there's always usually some sort of magical clue hidden somewhere that you can, you can figure out with savvy. And for me, right. that's, that's about the only one that I really look for. I think when, when I'm talking about composition, I mean, certainly I have, I have specific players that I, I fit into those boxes, you know, um, you know, if, if we're going to have a high physical game, I want these people. If we're going to have a high mental game, I want these people, but yeah, not not specifically a clasp thing. Right. So. Okay. 
Okay, so Magnus, as far as the, the Nightshade uh, team itself, did you go into it looking for a specific um, sort of mix of classes? Or how did you... What were you thinking when you started that process of putting together the Nightshade team? Okay, uh, for the Nightshade team... I started out with the tried and true shotgun invitation. <laughs> and basically I knew I had a six man team and you know, I'm one of them. So I'm filling five slots. I picked 10 people that I thought, you know, that the, that the player, the person was going to be a good fit into this game. And sent out all those invites and said, hey, I've got an LM slot. Are you interested? Not even looking at class composition, not looking at any of that stuff. Just here are the players. You know, are you interested? Can you make it? And we did have a little bit of information about – you had some information about ratings before it came out. So we knew that it was high rated all around, right? It's like all eights and a nine or something? Something like that, yeah. Right, okay. It's it's pretty high up there. And – and yeah, and, and I had a little information on that to say, hey, this is what it is. This is the type of game I'm expecting out of this. Again, this is where I bring in that, you know, at this level, it's very metagame in terms of what do I think the game is going to be like so that I can put together a team of players that are going to enjoy that type of game and I'm going to enjoy being in that type of game with. So once you've gotten the players, uh, then once I had oh go ahead, yeah, I think you're yep, going to go sure. on. Once I get that, that, what can yeah. Michael Magnus do to get through this game? Right, right. And then after that initial you know, response comes in, you know, and I usually invite a lot of out of state folks too, or out of chapter folks too. And so you know that went out. I was expecting a large you know turndown rate, and then you know I get that back from. Yeah, okay, here are the people who applied to that initial throwout. And then I say, okay, here's you know, the folks we have. What does everyone want to play? And so some from that that initial round, okay. We kind of work in, okay, what we would like to do. And then I go out and I look at the specific slots of, okay, well, we're definitely going to need a mage and a thief. You know, is what we have left. So, you know, hey, what do you guys think about, you know, this person is a thief or this person is a mage or, you know, give me some ideas of other people you think will be good on the team. And then I start contacting those on a more, you know, one by one basis. Mm-hmm. Sure. Until I fill in those slots. So what what, what nice. classes did we end up with? We have uh, a fighter, two knights, a mage, a cleric, a thief. Correct. Okay. So pretty pretty basic standard class composition, I think we'd all say. Yep. Yeah, I I had I'd wanted to include a monk. And so you know, I think I think if I were gonna if I were to change anything in the current composition, I'd trade a knight for a monk. Which I know you're you're gonna tell Ooh. me is sacrilege. <laughs> I, I've got a monk I can play. He's second level, you'd have to play up, but you know, if you uh, want that, me to that, bring a monk, I I can do that. Oh, oh that, that, that's all right. I, th- I think we're good with with, with what we've got. Uh, but but yeah, no, I, I think we're going to go. And the only reason I say a monk is that, again, it's on that metagame level. I have the feeling 
that a monk is going to be handy. Okay. Right. So will because we're gonna we're gonna need to time something. Right. So will if if you would edit around if this was your team and you had to change the class comp- composition around for Nightshade, what would yep. you do differently? Um. I mean, I guess if we have to take a a, a fighter instead of a third knight, that's okay. <laughs> um. No, I'm. I actually, I, I'm pretty happy. I mean, if I were to build a team from scratch, it would look pretty close to the team we've got. Um, yeah, I mean, it feels like we've got all of the what ifs pretty covered. Um, we've got the front line pretty covered. Um, you know, I can imagine shifting out one of those knights for something like a ranger. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I would be perfectly happy with the team composition exactly as it is. How about you? Um, you know, I, I could see, depending on the player, I could see switching out, again, uh, either a knight or probably the fighter. I could see switching out for a second thief. Um, What the hell is wrong with you? I know, I know. <laughs> I I have this idea. Magnus was sort of talking about this earlier about thieves, and, and I asked about this, but I just think that I, I have this idea that two thieves could be very, very effective on a team with two other frontliners. Yes, yes, they can. I, I, I have this image that I want to see that happen, and I haven't yet, but I, I think the, the possibility is there. Um, I could, there's probably no way that I could see taking a monk. Um, and I mean, maybe a monk if all we were going to do was cap for gold and feed them points through Godsboon so they could do knockdowns for our knights and our fighters. Oh yeah, I I totally approve of the monks as night bombs. I have no problem with that. Yeah, um, I I think the cleric and the mage. Is there any case that you guys would take a druid on this team? Like, what would you switch out if you had to take a druid? I would switch mage for druid. Will? Yeah, I guess it'd have to be the mage. I mean, I would definitely think about that. Sorry, I mean, again, I could I could give up one of the fighter types for it if we really thought we needed it. Um, I wouldn't, <clears throat> or the thief. I mean, the thief. Going I can... going with a, going without a thief. I I will be interested, and we'll get into sort of chapter by chapter differences here in a bit. But I've never seen an instance where you needed a thief. Sure, sometimes you're going to lose some stuff because you can't, you know, open the lock without breaking it or whatever. But I've never seen a chance where you needed a thief. Yeah, it seems like if there's a trap. You trigger the trap with the knight or the fighter or whatnot, and you heal them up. Um, it seems like if there's a box, you bust it open. Or if you really need reverse lock, you have a mage for reverse lock, right? I mean, they're always there. If you've got a mage on the team, you know, great. Um, I guess there could be a place where, you know, there's a door that only a thief or a mage can open. But in those cases, producers usually put it on the flyer if they restrict it, where you can't go forward unless you have a specific class. And so. There are some locks that a mage can't get through. You know that. Yeah, I haven't seen any though. Not that are important to the plot. Like yeah, actually... they're always ones that are sort of built that way. Is the like, if you have a thief, you get special stuff. Magnus, you were gonna say something. Oh, yeah, I, and I think that's going to be a, a chapter culture thing. I've seen a lot of cases where it's not, you know, pass fail. Do you have a thief? but rather things like you come into the encounter with the big bad. It's, you know, soul is locked up in the box on the pedestal in the middle. You can either beat it to death with lots and lots and lots and lots of damage, right? Or your thief can pick the lock in the middle of the fight 
retrieve the soul, and poof, he's done. Right. Uh, or, you know, situations where you're going through a physical challenge where disarming certain aspects of the trap make it easier. Save enormous numbers of points. Exactly. And actually, yeah, but well, that's, that, but that's that kind might, of my... That might be a quicker thing say... with us because we're, I mean, we're known for our fighting. That's where we came into this game with our strong point, right? Not our brains, not our lockpicking or whatnot. That if maybe we had less fighting skill, like we couldn't beat through something, maybe maybe there is a good a good reason to have a thief on a team. It, it could be, but... As, as I've said, it, it always seems to come down to, if you don't have the thief, either hit the thing more or um, God's boon more. Interesting. So that's another reason that, you know, going back to cleric, why you want to bring a cleric on a team is, is God's boon. We didn't really talk about that. Unlimited but, number of points. Yeah. I mean, I noticed that last, last year we were playing, you know, in uh, I was playing in Tomb of Tempest. And there was two teams. There was our team. We had a cleric and the other team didn't. And points were just not an issue for us. We were just willing to throw gold at, at it until we got through whatever encounter we had to get through. Magnus, is that something that you guys is Godspoons used a lot in your chapter? Uh, it it it. Sorry about that. Uh, it does get used fairly often. Uh, for us, it tends to be a oh, we had to use Godspoon. Because we messed something up. Oh, interesting. Okay. It, it got us out. It, it got us out of trouble, but and that might be another one of those you know cultural deals. Is there's nothing you're really against it, but it's just the you know yes we know that we could have just come in here and steamrollered this encounter. You know you know very few things hold up to a sufficient application of damage. Of, of points, yes. Well. And, you know, you can just brute force it. But there's also a certain level of enjoyment from, yeah, on our team, the thief, you know, snuck in there, picked, you know, picked into the chest and retrieved the, you know, artifact of foo before the NPCs even realized we were there. And then we just, you know, cakewalked it. Right. Or, you know, it's so a you're story element. Finesse and style. <laughs> Finesse and style may come into it. Sometimes. Totally. I, I, I totally agree with that. You know, there's another ability. I'll bring up one more that, that, you know, sort of one class has. And it's a pretty, I think it's a really good ability that is underutilized, which is Rangers and Wathit. And I think that oh, yeah. Wathit can be an incredibly useful ability against any big bad guy. Um, they can just really, you know, when sometimes when you go into a fight and you don't know what the key is to beat it, you know, and you're sort of experimenting with different things. You try the holy water, you try, you know, fire damage or whatnot. That I think Wathit, at least in the games that we see um, here in Colorado, I think that it's it's pretty underutilized. And I think it would be an ability, a reason to take a ranger, or at least an ability, an item of Wathit. Uh, yes, that's definitely a strong point for rangers. And down here... You know, for like our team for Nightshade, we are definitely walking on course with a handful of Wathits. Okay. Uh, that that comes into play a lot, and nice. especially the higher, the you know, the higher risk ratings and and high well any any higher rating. You expect informationals to be a lot more important. Right. Great. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I really think informationals as a whole are overlooked an awful lot. I agree. Yep. We, we we do a we do as a writer I know we write them in quite a bit, and there are times that I'm surprised that someone you know that has 
you know, even battlefield lore, right? You know, you're a fighter, right. you get half your level in battlefield lores. If it looks like there's been a battle there, why use not it. ask? Why not use it? Yeah. And I, I feel like teams, uh, maybe about, I don't know, 40% of the time, forget to use those. See, I was going to say 40% use it. Yeah, that could be that could be it. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, well, great. We think we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back, and we've got the five questions for Magnus. So, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And now we are going to ask Michael Magnus our famous five questions that we ask all of our guests here on the Battle College podcast. Are you ready, Michael? I am ready as I'm going to be. I will admit I failed to do my homework, so... These will be coming at me fresh. That's that's more Fantastic. exciting. I like that actually. Okay. It's much better. Question number one: What is the best class? Whatever class I'm playing at the time. Oh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. <laughs> that's a cop out answer. Come on, you, you you deep down inside you don't think there's a there's actually the best class. So you're 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 not gonna like this. I really and truly love the spirit monk. <laughs> yes, right. I know. That was You're over there okay. laughing and rolling. Okay. So why? Um, <laughs> so they are nigh indestructible. So I enjoy tanking. You know, I enjoy being the guy. I'm not dishing a whole lot. You know, but like I said, you know, I'm in there. I'm in the thick of things. I'm coordinating. You know, the team's efforts in whatever situation we're in. And as a spirit monk, I that's just the number one tank class in my abil- in, in in my opinion. For I can take anything you dish out at me and keep going. Okay. I think Will's so... a little silent there. <laughs> the, the, uh, uh... Have, 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 I'll just ask, have have either of you ever seen a say seventh or eighth level spirit monk yeah we have a tenth level we have a tenth level spirit monk who plays in almost all of our games Hmm. and he's he's good at staying up it's 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 for sure but the correct answer is of course knight is the best (laughs) class i think i think more importantly we have seen him like you said brandon our our friend brandon plays uh orant pike uh tenth level spirit monk and you're right he is very powerful he does stay up the problem is is he just sort of like it just means that that class spot is sort of just there. Like, I don't know. I, 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 maybe I just haven't seen enough of them. I'm willing, I'm willing to, to hold judgment. I'm not. The answer is night. It says so right here in the script. <laughs> it doesn't. All right. One. Go on. What, uh, second question. What was your favorite game? What was my favorite game? I am going to have to say my favorite game was actually as an NPC in Valadium 4. All right. Uh, it was the summer after I graduated high school. I just got in the car, drove to Colorado, camped up there for the you know three-day weekend that it was, and ate, slept, and breathed Ifkis. That sounds awesome. I wish awesome. I could have made it. That's fantastic. Okay. Okay, so if your favorite character had to die... How would you want him or her to go out? And of course, first you'll have to tell us who that is. Uh, so current favorite character is going to be my first character, uh, my fighter Moonglum, who will be LMing for Nightshade. 
Um, and I would say if he's got to die, it needs to be, you know, for him, it needs to be something grand. Uh, most likely one of those, you know, heroic noble sacrifice types of, you know, where, where you have, you know, the actually you know, the character decision of if I stay planted here, it means, you know, the world lives and I die. The world lives, but I die. And it doesn't have to be as full as, you know, the world or the universe or whatever. It, it could be, you know, you know, just a kingdom or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, something you know, small. Something small. But, but something, something small, like, you know, a continent. But, no, but just, if he's going to have to die, there has to be a meaning to it. Sure. Sure. And as long as there was a meaning to it, you know, even though that, that means, you know, the, the storyline that I have planned for him and, and going on and doing that can that can change okay so question number four what is the one thing you wish you could change about the ifgs Ooh, the one thing i wish i could change about the ifgs yep this could be very dangerous coming from me oh why is that (laughs) oh because i usually try to play the uh good guy at society okay this, this is good. I think I think everyone should be honest here, and, and we should yep, we should yep. talk about these things. So, so the number one thing that I would change would be IFGS as a society, um, to be more uh, the societal structure being more of an umbrella administrative unit, aiding. You know, various chapters of multiple gaming systems. I our, understand. You know, our original constitution, even ha- you know, our current constitution, even to this day, has provisions for other systems under the right. IFGS umbrella. Right. And I would, you know, I'm all for it more, you know, for a stronger union. You know, the the, the, the you know the Confederacy of chapters we have now seems, you know, we we've seen how it reacted to the stress of you know low membership for the past couple of de- you know for the past decade or so right and as a society we're climbing back out of that uh but yeah you know, i'd like to see more interconnection between chapters but also a broader spectrum of larping activity okay got it that wasn't that dangerous oh sometimes <laughs> <laughs> all right last question if you could get one person fictional or real to play on your team who would it be and why hmm that's a tough one i keep changing my answer to this question like every week so don't feel bad if you have to think about it a little bit Uh, okay yeah yeah no i i i i've just been thinking about it for you know under a minute here and i've already cycled through three or four and i go oh no no what about this one no no what about this one so Actually, really and truly, and this may come out a little sappy, <laughs> but my younger brother, Mark. All right. He and I don't and have a, to talk. Is this a real person or a fictional person? This, real person. <laughs> real, 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 yeah, real person. Uh, younger brother, Mark. He and I don't have to talk. We just do. Nice. And that that level of... You know, knowing what the other's thinking and acting in concert really is an awesome feeling out 
you know, in those intense situations. I totally agree. I, I have someone like that that I play with often, uh, and it's the same sort of way. You know, I, I agree that you cannot, there's no way to sort of force that type of bond. It just happens with someone or it doesn't. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. great. And does he play? He does. Okay. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he was out for a long while. Uh, he's the one I was talking about. Just did the treasury set for him. Sure. Uh, he, right. He went off into the army and was gone for a good bit, but he's you know, recently gotten back. He'll still have another deployment or two, but he's, you know, stateside more often than not now. Nice. And, uh, has been getting back in. Uh, he's come up and NPC'd here in ECO. He's living down in Dallas right now. Uh, he was at their game just last weekend, and he's you know really gearing up for full swing back into the into things. Very nice. cool. Well, uh, I'm really looking forward to the game Nightshade. I, th- I think that it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. And uh, thank you by the way for the invite. Uh, we're really excited getting prepped for it. And uh, I know Will's crazy making shields for it right now. And uh, I'm working on some garb for it. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a great weekend. And and we'll have to definitely do a, a little follow-up either while we're down there, uh, just record a little piece of the podcast or, or when we get back and sort of just talk about our expectations and how the game went and just a little recap on the game. All right. right. And hopefully I haven't ramped all your expectations up and <laughs> yeah exactly then it flops <laughs> oh it's not gonna flop i think it's gonna be a great game so yeah well anyways uh thanks everyone for tuning in tonight and uh yeah this Thank has been you to michael magnus yep and for coming on i guess that's really about it and uh remember we'll be back with you real soon remember fighters fight fighters fight, fighters fight.